You're listening to the Handmade CEO Podcast. My name is Maria Lauren, small business owner and creative entrepreneur. Each week, we'll discover the steps and motivation that inspire our guests to create income from their skills. Get ready to start learning how to creatively pursue your dream job by crafting it yourself. Thank you for tuning in to episode 85. Are you curious to find out what it takes to have a successful rental property business? Today's guest will explain what it takes to have a reliable and profitable business in rentals. I love that Anthony shares his trials and teaches the fundamentals of being a leader. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for joining me today. Hello. Thanks for having me. So can we start with your journey into real estate and how that led you to writing a book? Absolutely. Before I got into real estate, I uh, spent about six and a half years in the army. Five of those were active duty and one and a half were in the Ohio National Guard. And during that time, I deployed to Iraq for 15 months. And all of these experiences that I had during the military gave me a strong foundation for leadership and getting other people to do what you want them to do through empathetic leadership training. You know. Uh, so when I got out of the army, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, with my life. And I, I did know, however, that I wanted to get into some type of investing that led me down a path to be financially independent one day. And obviously that led me to real estate, uh, which is an excellent vehicle for that if you can handle some of the shenanigans that, <laughs> that goes on with being a property manager. But as I researched becoming a landlord and what what it meant to run rental properties, I, I noticed some kind of disturbing patterns in the industry that still exist today, unfortunately. And that is that most property managers focus on the bottom line, which is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to make a profit from your investments. There's nothing wrong with that. That That is totally normal and fine. Right. But I think what a lot of people that get into this field don't understand is that they're not just buying an investment, they're buying a job. If you're going to be an active property manager, an active landlord, or a property leader, as I like to um, frame it, then look, you're, you're in a service industry. You know, you you are serving people, and that that was kind of the uh, approach that I took right from the start. I, I I was researching how other property managers were doing things, and I, I didn't I didn't really appreciate the attitude they had toward tenants and toward their rental properties, and how they put the profit first and everyone else last. That just didn't jive with the way that I was brought up in the military on how to lead successful teams, how to uh, get people to do what you want them to do. Uh, so I decided to take some the training that I had from the military about being an empathetic leader and uh, apply that to being a landlord with landlording as a service, tenants first, and being a property leader. And uh, those methods have served me well over the last 10 plus years. We have an extraordinarily low vacancy rate. We have tenants that they pay on time. They tell us when they're going to have issues. They tell us if things are broken. These are all counterintuitive to what most landlords would tell you. Most landlords would say, oh, well, you know, tenants, they don't pay on time or they don't tell you they're not going to pay on time until after the deadline's passed or they don't tell you that the basement's flooding. And I, I believe that a lot of it comes down to the relationships that they have with their tenants. So my book, Leadership for Landlords, that's what I'm trying to solve. I'm trying to bring this empathetic leadership style to landlording and show that there is a better way to uh, treat tenants and to run rentals. We've all heard the horror stories, so I can totally agree that this is definitely a, an area that needs a little help. <laughs> Why real estate? What was the draw towards real estate? So my draw toward real estate was that it was a challenge. One, I mean, I like challenges. That's who I am. I'm not one to shy away from a challenge. So that was exciting to me at first was that there was actually some effort on my part 
part was that I can do something to be engaged in my investment. The, the second bit of it was that whenever I hear somebody say, oh, it's, it's hard, I don't want to do it or something like that, it, it just, it's a red flag for me that that might be something that's worth doing. <laughs> I know that right. sounds <laughs> silly, but that's, it is, I told my son not long ago, he was looking to make money and I said, well, find something your friends don't want to do and then sell it. Pick up, you know, animal waste or something, mow lawns, things that your friends don't want to do. That's that's where I would focus because that's what people are going to pay for. And I've always held that mentality and it's always served me really well because especially with landlording, a lot of people, they say, oh, well, I don't want to fix a toilet at you know 1 a.m. It's like, well, no kidding. <laughs> Nobody wants to fix a toilet at 1 a.m. There's things you can do to avoid those situations. But yeah, the, the things that are tough, that's where the money is made. So those are some of the things that drew me into uh, landlording. Okay. Well, that's funny. And, and part of it too, I think is interesting. I mean, it's it's not a daily thing that you'd be fixing a toilet, even if you weren't exactly. you know, hiring a property manager. So um, <laughs> exactly. I also, I love that you, by just changing the name from landlord to leader, it really does affect the the feel of what the role is all about in most um, situations. But it seems to me like a landlord is in a position of authority as opposed to with the word leader. It seems to me like you're more or less paving the way for a smooth process. Like everybody should be on board for a smooth process as opposed to the other way where one's a complainer and one's a fixer. Exactly. Yes. And that's, that is a big part of this is the mental shift in the landlord. You know, you're not going to change tenants and change who they are as people. What you can do though, is you can change who you are and how you respond to situations and how you act as a professional and how you frame things. So for example, we had a a tenant abandon a property not long ago and he just up and left, you know, it was a young kid. It was a 19 year old and he up and left and didn't give us any notice. And he punched a couple holes in the walls. And I mean, that's, that's the reality of being a landlord. These things happen from time to time and you have to be able to roll with the punches. Now I could get back in contact with him if I if I had to. I, I had a general idea where he was. I, I knew who his family was, and I I've done my due diligence, so I, I have contacts with this person. I could easily go after him for the thirty dollar water bill and the twenty dollars worth of holes that he punched in the wall or whatever. But what I did instead was I garnished his deposit for that month's rent and I fixed up the apartment. I got it ready to go again for the next next person. I, I framed it as it's my problem. That guy I caught him. He's dead weight. He's gone. I. I could chase after him for this small amount of money, but what is that energy really being used for? Is it, is it going to benefit the the business as a whole? Is it going to benefit my other tenants if I go after this guy? In my mind, it wasn't worth it. So God bless him. He can go his way and good luck to him. I hope he does you know well in the future. But as far as our unit goes and what we're doing, you know, we take command, we, we get in there, we get it fixed up, we get it ready for the next person. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where the energy is best spent for me. It sounds like you did recover your costs well, from so the deposit. The deposit is intended to be uh, there for repair, not for the last month's rent. So technically he is in the hole uh, for whatever the repairs cost because the, the deposit was supposed to cover the, the lost month's rent. Okay. Um, technically he's in the hole for it. But like I said, I don't stress over those little things because it's going to tie me up in court. It's going to tie up my time. I could be using my time for other things like speaking with you today instead of being out there chasing after this guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I definitely think your time is better spent just moving on. And I feel like a lot of times as small business owners, we do get stuck on the little issues. When when you look back, it really doesn't make much of an impact to just let it go exactly. and move on. 
holding those grudges is not a healthy thing for you mentally and it doesn't really benefit your business. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I let those things go. I mean, sometimes it, it warrants following up with people if there's, you know, something massive that has something totally egregious that you have to, you know, maybe a contractor screwed you on thousands of dollars. Look, I'm not going to let that go. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, something right. petty like this where a tenant like decides they don't want to live there anymore and, you know, maybe punched a hole in the wall. Like that's not, I'm not going right. to chase somebody out for that. Well, do you feel that your military background helped shape your mentality of, or was this always kind of your approach to things prior? Oh yeah. The military definitely shaped me. Um, I was always a kind of like a go-getter. Even when I was young, I had lots of businesses that I st started up as a kid because my parents had nothing. Like they, if I ever wanted anything, it was like, well, go earn the money and then you can have it. <laughs> that was always their their approach to raising me, which is nothing wrong with that. It, it worked, but the the military really gave me that that empathetic approach, you know, because everyone thinks about military leadership as you know barking orders and you just you shut up and you do what you got to do, and and to some extent there is some shut up and you do what you got to do, but that is not the approach to leadership that the military takes by any any measure. The approach they take is, you know, your leaders are responsible for everyone underneath them. And if you're if you're off base in the middle of the night and you get in trouble and your leader's nowhere to be found because it was your off hours and he's at he or she's at home sleeping, they're going to get yelled at in the morning <laughs> because they they didn't do that they didn't take care of you. And regardless if it was really their fault or not, leaders are responsible for everyone underneath them. So that approach really drives leadership toward an empathetic approach as, instead of barking orders. The the empathetic approach is I care about you. I care about your well-being. I, I want you to make, I want to make sure you have everything you need to get through your day, that you're fed, that you're getting enough sleep. Because if I care about you in that way, then when I need something that is going to be reciprocated to me, it's going to say, frame it this way. It's like, if I spend two years getting you ready for combat, and I spent those whole two years just barking orders at you and being a jerk, as opposed to being caring towards you and, and showing that I, I'm invested in your future. Which leader would you be more likely to follow over the hill that has bullets flying flying exactly. over it? You know, the one that the one that spent two years barking at you or the one that cares about you? Yes. Which one are you going to be more likely to follow? So it seems like there's such a big focus on this being a relationship as opposed to yes. just being you owning property that somebody lives in. Yes. And that's that's really the relationship that I'm trying to build with my tenants is, you know, they see me there every weekend. They see me mowing the lawn or taking care of something, or heck, maybe I'm just driving by just to say hello. I drive by our properties and I try and pop in on all of them each weekend. And if I see a tenant out walking around, because we have multi-unit buildings, if we see tenants walking around, I'll say, hey, hello, you know, how you doing? Is everything okay? You know, how is your apartment? Is there Are there any issues? Have you noticed anything in the neighborhood? Is there anything I should know about? Just building that, fostering that relationship with your tenants. One, it, it makes it so if they're is something that pops up that maybe they didn't think about or didn't think was important to mention to you that you're able to get it handled. Like maybe there's a, a small drip under their sink or maybe their toilet is running. A small drip under the sink can cause damage and be a pain if you're trying to flip a unit because then it's one extra thing you've got to fix. So if you leave it to the end, you know, it's kind of a pain. So it's nice to take care of that in advance. And the running toilet, that's either costing your tenant money or it's costing you money, one or the right. other. So facilitating that that conversation and having that relationship with your tenants really gets those things fixed quickly. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. I don't want you to panic about this amazing offer coming to an end, but I really felt called to share this with you. Flowdesk is offering a $19 per month lock-in price until November 2nd. 
Just in case you're wondering, Flowdesk is the most amazing email marketing platform ever. They have gorgeous templates that are super easy to use with features like unlimited emails, forms, and workflow automation. Staying in touch with your customers has never been easier. Just having unlimited emails and subscribers for the low price of $19 a month is a bargain. They even have Flowdesk University to help answer any of your questions, and their customer service is pretty incredible too. Do me a favor and just look at the platform. I know you'll love it as much as I do. Transferring my old list to this platform was a breeze. Be sure to check the show notes to get a special 50% off link while you still can. Now back to the show. Well, what do you feel is the biggest struggle when someone is first looking to invest in real estate? Oh man, there's so many struggles. It, it, there really is. Just having confidence in your numbers, that's probably the biggest the biggest one. There's some very good formulas out there for determining if a building is going to be profitable or if uh, it's a good investment or not. The comp, I mean, if you can do fifth grade math in this country, you can handle all the math that you need to do to figure out a rental is profitable or not. It's not complex math. And there's really not a whole heck of a lot that goes into it. It's just that people don't trust their numbers. So I would say that would be the first thing. Open up Excel, break out the numbers, make sure they work for you, make sure you're comfortable with it and plan for the plan for the worst case scenario and structure a deal around the worst case scenario. And then you'll be pleasantly surprised when you take the building over and it's not that. It's not as scary as you'd imagined it. Exactly. Well, can you give me an example of a success story of somebody that maybe has gone through the book or maybe some of your coaching and has been able to you know, comfortably afford a, a project or a building? Sure. So I can't give you a success story based on the book because we just released the book uh, a couple of <laughs> weeks ago. Okay. I, I, I hope somebody's read it and <laughs> been <laughs> successful by then. But yeah, we, we released the book about three weeks ago. And I, I can tell you that these are the things that I employ in my business on a day-to-day basis. We've been doing it for 10 years. These systems do work. We have incredibly low eviction rate. I, I want to say in 10 years, I've had three evictions. Yeah, extraordinarily low eviction rate. In 10 years, we've had maybe three or four months worth of vacancy in all of, across all of our apartments. And that vacancy, at least half of that was due to rehabbing the unit. It didn't really have anything to do with not being able to find anybody. We were just literally fixing the apartment, so we, right. couldn't, we couldn't rent it out. But yeah, it, these these methods, they do work. They're in the book. They teach you how to be a an empathetic leader. And uh, if you employ them, your rentals will absolutely succeed. So you just released the book. You said that just came out. Do you have other services that you offer? Going forward, we're going to be offering consulting. That's not going to start until early next year. And the consulting is, it's going to be, we can come in to engage with you and look at what you're offering to your tenants. We'll be able to say, what are some best practices for the industry? We'll be able to help you find buildings uh, in your area, things like that. Still coming. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's probably one of the, being able to consult with people, I feel like is going to be one of those things that takes a little of the fear and uncertainty away. I I think a lot of people have this idea that they can do it, but not knowing, you know, and it's such a big investment. It's not like, you know, buy a $47 course investment. It's a big investment. So And it can be scary for sure. And then of course, once you are a property owner, I think doing it right and making sure that you have that foundation is so vital so that you can also have the same type of, you know, numbers that you're able to put out 
Exactly. Um, yeah. So what actionable tips would you have for someone interested in becoming a real estate investor? So the first thing I would say is that if you're looking to get into this to make huge stacks of cash and it not be a huge uh, impact on your life, then put your money in a ETF or a low risk index fund or something other than real estate because this job <laughs> is not for you. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a job. It is a service. You're providing a service. And um if you plan on buying rentals and handing them over to a uh, property management company, letting them handle it for you, be ready for that to fail. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean it will fail. You, that might work out great for you. The property management company you might find might be fantastic and everything would work great, but you need to plan for them to be a hot mess and that for you to take over just in case. I mean, it's it, it's not easy to get into these positions. It's not easy to get out of these positions. It takes time to buy and sell buildings. So if you're buying real estate and, in any capacity, you need to have, at a minimum, you need to have a plan of, okay, the ish just hit the fan. You know, I can't <laughs> trust my property management company. You know, I have to take over. What do I do? Right. But it, yeah, if you're looking to get into it to be to be a property manager yourself and self-manage your units, it's absolutely possible. Anybody can do it. You just need to have the stomach and have the right attitude going into it. The nice thing too with investing in in real estate is that maybe it isn't like an overnight, like you're you're making a boatload of money, but with the market the way that it is, it tends to your buildings will appreciate, your property will appreciate. So I feel like maybe if you hold out long enough and you don't sell, you know, try and just flip properties and you're are a good you know manager or leader of a property over time I think that's going to be really fruitful it can be yes it, it depends on what market you're in for sure there's some areas that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole and then there's right. other areas that are massive deals and that that goes into the uh, the research that you do ahead of you know ahead of time there's some markets that just don't see appreciation even even now they're not seeing appreciation some of our buildings are in areas where the rent is great the margins are amazing you can't find the margins anywhere else in our area but the buildings just don't appreciate. It's just that kind of neighborhood. And then we and then we have another neighborhood where rent is really stagnant, but the property values are like you said, they're they're appreciating through the roof. So it just depends on what what class neighborhood you're looking in and the condition of the building and what's going on. It is the is the neighborhood in an upswing? Is it kind of just like a standard blue collar working neighborhood for the last 40 or 50 years? You know, it just right. depends. And it also sounds like you're looking at properties that aren't too far from where you're currently living. Is that correct? Because I feel like that would be really difficult if your properties are spread out in all sorts of places and you're having to make sure. these drives. Yeah. I Our properties are within an hour of where we live. I like to keep them in arm's reach just so I can get out there and assess things in the middle of the night if I have to. I, I don't usually search beyond an hour for, man, for properties that I take over and manage. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Can you give me a valuable piece of advice that maybe you learned from starting your own business? Oh, yeah. Well, so for starters, you know, don't set your goals too low. That's that's probably the first one. I got into business like a lot of people and I set my goals uh, that were absolutely attainable and then I attained them too quick. <laughs> so I, I would say don't be afraid to set lofty goals, even for business. It, it's okay. It, it's okay to fail at, you know, people are going to, you're, you're going to fail sometimes. That's probably another really key piece of information that you can't be afraid to to make a decision because sometimes you're going to fail. It's okay. I I, I think that uh, you recently had an episode on failure. I was I was listening to it, and the the truth of the matter is, yeah, you know, you're gonna you're gonna make mistakes, and that's okay. 
Well, what I think is so interesting about failure is that it always feels like such a gut punch, but over time you start to develop this almost like a recognition of what it feels like to get up and get going again right afterwards. And you learn so much, I think, from those experiences. So it's so important to not run the other way or or to not fear it. Otherwise, you're really not going to grow that much. It's just, it's part of life. Absolutely. It is. And if you've shy away from failure, you're never going to succeed, especially in the real estate business, because it's like, look, when you pull the trigger and you buy your first rental property, whether it's a single family or a four unit or a hundred unit, it doesn't matter. You're going to have, there's going to be edge cases. Like there's no, it's not a binary thing. It's not either you succeed or fail. You know, it's going to be, you take over the building and maybe it's semi-successful right away and then you make it a huge success or maybe it's a huge success when you buy it and then you run it into the ground you know there's there's always opportunities to fail i took over a building a couple years ago it was a duplex and all the numbers made sense on paper everything looked good it was rented it was producing cash it should have been cash flowing the moment i took it over and then we took it over and it ended up being like the nightmare scenario it was it was a huge huge amount of work but we stuck with it and we fixed it. And within, you know, three, four months, we had it fully up and running and profitable. And now it's one of our most profitable buildings. So you just have to stick with it and you can't shy away from making mistakes or building being a, being a failure. You, what you do is you mitigate the risk. That's, that's actually how you, you handle failure is you say, okay, I'm going into this building. Here are all my success scenarios. Here are all my failure scenarios which of these am I not okay with? Which of these failure scenarios are absolutely unacceptable? Oh, oh, it's uh, if if we have this problem happen, if the roof caves in, then that's going to put us $10,000 over market value or something like that. Okay, great. So let's factor that into the deal then. Go back to the other person, tell them, hey, look, your roof is old. You know, it's almost 30 years old. I've got to get this replaced. You know, I want a $10,000 discount on the on the sale price or I'm, I'm walking. That That's how you mitigate those scenarios. That makes so much sense. Kind of planning ahead a little bit for, for the worst case scenario and working around it. Exactly. This yeah. is not something you want to jump in blindly with both feet. You know, you want to look at what the rent is going to be, what your mortgage is going to be. You know, you, you want to look at the condition of the building and any repairs you plan on doing in the first six months. Uh, you want to look at the, the net margin, see if see if it's going to be profitable or when it's going to be profitable. You you make uh, you make all those calculations ahead of time. And like I said, there's nothing in there that's extraordinarily complex. There's no math in there that, you know, all your listeners couldn't do. Right. Uh, it's just that you, you got to do it and you got to trust those numbers. You got to say, "Okay, this is our plan. Let's run with this." And and then you go. That makes so much sense. So, back to the book. Can you explain a little bit about maybe the some of the content of the book and what you think people will get out of reading this? Yeah, so the book it, it's a mixture of experiences that I've had as a property leader. Some of the scenarios I've run into with tenants. Uh, I, I actually mentioned that that nightmare scenario with the uh, duplex. It involved a couple senior citizens with a, an adult autistic child. It was a very difficult situation, both to handle just just the situation handling it. And also it was a, an emotional toll on me. So that's one thing that we covered in there. We also cover like how to do disaster planning and how to handle different situations, how to approach tenants, how to be confident in your property leadership style, things like that. Great. Well, where can we connect with you and how can we find that book? So you can find the book Leadership for Landlords on Amazon, both in the Kindle store and physical copies. Uh, we should have an audio book out here 
in the next couple of weeks uh, as well. So that option will be available. And you can connect with me at leadershipforlandlords.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Anthony. I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Well, there you have it, my friend. Another incredible CEO sharing his strength and mindset with the world. Anthony's approach to being a landlord is far more appealing than my old vision of owning rentals. By creating a caring environment, Anthony is fostering mutual respect between himself and his tenants. This slight shift in mindset has allowed him to run a successful and rewarding business. Visit the show notes to connect with Anthony and to order his new book, Leadership and Landlords. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Handmade CEO podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes to get a glimpse of today's featured guest and special offers. If you love the show, leave a review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. Now it's your turn to start handcrafting your dream job. 